welcome to Seattle on Tap. I'm Courtney Jacobson. Uh, and I'm Ashley Toten. Oh, happy February. I cannot believe it's February. Yeah. I feel like at this point, I'm just kind of, all right, sure. <laughs> About everything. <laughs> just along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> and what a ride it's been. Yeah. Woman on top of that, how do you feel? You just uh, got boosted. Yeah, so um, <laughs> this time my side effects were totally different than, you know, the last few times that I've had a vaccine shot. Um, I wasn't achy or anything and I didn't feel sick really. Definitely had a headache, um, but all of my joints hurt really bad. <laughs> and the problem areas I already have, like my shoulder and neck, um, just like extra pain, not even achy pain, like when you get sick, but just pain. I'm like, damn, this is what I'm going to be like when I'm 90. This sucks. That super sucks. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I know. God so damn. I'm like in the shower trying to stretch with extra hot water. Just like, oh my God, I just can't move. Can <laughs> I get some of you that CBD cream? I have some. <laughs> it didn't work. Oh, man. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, to be honest, I know that just pain and not being sick and fully out for the count. I mean, I was exhausted. It definitely hit me. I don't know, like, uh, I'm going to go with 7 p.m. It just smacked me and I'm like, wow, I'm all of a sudden very exhausted. <laughs> I'm very lucky because I know, like you, <laughs> had some pretty awful reactions. I know some other people that had pretty bad, sick reactions. But here's the thing. So my booster, I had like, I was sick for like a week, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like I was fucked up. However, during, some of you already know this because you are hopefully watching Patreon, mm -hmm. but I got COVID during Christmas and I had zero symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like, I would say if I had any, it was just that I was kind of tired, more tired than normal, but it was not anything like, so, like so shockingly tired. It was just like, oh, I'm kind of sleepy for like a, a few days. And you had like a little bit of phlegm or something, right? Like, yeah, but I'd also had a legit cold not long before. So yeah, so you know, like, potato, fuck. potato, who knows if it was from the cold or, or just COVID. Who knows? another extended version because of COVID. <laughs> but I'm, I guess my point is that I'm just thankful that I am vaccinated and boosted so that yeah. that was how it went. And it wasn't like you're down for the count and or in the hospital or whatever. For sure. So get your fucking boosters, dudes. Yeah. And I was talking to the the dude that gave me my shot yesterday. I was kind of saying how it was funny that, oh my God, it was so hard for me to find a damn appointment 
to the point where I had to make mine two months ahead. Like, I made this appointment at the beginning of December. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And, um, you know, Layla got her vaccines because of the school. Gordon got his booster a lot easier because his workplace they were like, so we're going to come around to the office and give everybody a booster on these three days. So sign up for a time slot and we'll come stick you. <laughs> Just like, you're welcome. Please be vaccinated in our offices. <laughs> I wish more employers were doing that, actually. Yeah. My employer doesn't care because we all work from home. <laughs> They're not going to just send a dude to your door to be like, boink. Oh, my God. I've <laughs> probably hurt that person severely. Like, Get out of my house. I don't know what you have in there. Ma'am, ma'am, I just want you boosted. <laughs> I'll boost you, motherfucker. Yeah, I would, too. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. So he was joking about how, yeah, it was pretty interesting at first when they said, okay, everybody can go get a booster now we suggest every you know we authorize it or whatever and he's like yeah people were lined out the door for our walk-in times and we would send people home way way before the walk-in time was over because we'd run out of shots and then he's like now most people don't even show up for their appointment because they've probably got a booster somewhere else <laughs> Or they have COVID. Or, yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, at least, like, cancel it. It's mm -hmm. not hard. He's like, yeah, well, people aren't that considerate. <laughs> he goes, but hey, there's probably going to be around four of shots, so stay tuned. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious about that, actually. I'm curious to see if it's going to be, like, a yearly like flu shot sort of thing or if it's going to be in every six months or what i wouldn't be surprised if it was an every six month thing yeah <laughs> i hate getting shots so much yeah my i mean it's worth hurts. it but i hate it my arm hurts and i can't <clears throat> move part of my body <laughs> just like the upper neck area yeah and my shoulders and like between my shoulder blades mm -hmm. is extreme so i'll stop whining <laughs> well what fixes everything is beer what are uh -huh. you drinking today <laughs> well, we had kind of said, hey, it's Valentine's Day month. Let's maybe drink some, I don't know, chocolatey beers or something. And um, I fully planned to do that. But uh, then I decided to save money and drink beer that I already had. Mm -hmm. And so I chose this one that um, I felt like, oh, that's kind of Valentine's-y. <laughs> I mean, it's got like a pink uh, label with some cute 
cherries and stuff. Anyway, so this is Fox Leap Sour Cherry Ale from Allagash Brewing Company. They are out of Portland, Maine. And this is 8.4 ABV. And uh, I'll read you like... Well, basically, okay, I'll... They have a very extensive, uh, in very, very small red <laughs> print on the back. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll give you the gist. Basically, they um, take nearly two years to make each batch of this little, kind, little guy. And um, it is... Uh, a blend of wild ale and what they do is they take one part so they brew this wild ale and wild being wild yeast um, so they brew the ale half of it they take an age for 12 months in bourbon barrels the other half they take and um, Sour it in stainless steel tanks for 18 months. And then they blend it all together and age it some more with 3,250 pounds of local cherries. There's two different kinds, and I'm not going to read the names because I'm going to not pronounce them right. Um, and they age and sour it with all those amounts of cherries for another four months. And so then you get this, what I was thinking was going to be like too strong of flavors that were Mm going to be like fighting each other. But I am very happy to be so wrong. <laughs> this is all almost caramely malty flavored. It's not too sour, which you were saying that everything you've had with these cherries has been super sour, which mm-hmm. is not too sour. And I think the... the uh, bourbon barrels that malty caramely nature that it's pulling out of the bourbon barrels is really calming it down it's so Mm, good bourbon that sounds so good which sometimes you get an ale that's aged in bourbon barrels and then it has that almost astringent taste to it there's none of that happening in this delish so good my beer is also fucking amazing. Mm. Um, I'm almost halfway done with mine already because I can't stop drinking it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm drinking another beer. I guess, I don't know if this is maybe the third time I've had a beer from them, um, but Black Raven. Mm. Uh, they're in Redmond slash Woodenville. I think they have two locations out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the Featherweather Mocha Stout, which, again, trying to stick to the chocolatey theme, I was like, 
do I really need to buy a chocolate beer? This is a mocha beer. It goes. Oh, I feel like it works. I'm down for a chocolatey um, coffee flavor together. Oh, it's so Anything. fucking good. Mm -hmm. um, so this is an American style stout um, brewed with cocoa nibs um, and it's radial coffee, which I don't actually even oh. know where that is. Um, but it's dark chocolate and coffee flavors balanced with a like really dry stout, um, which is great because it's got that wonderful like roasty coffee flavor, but then that kind of bitterness from dark chocolate. And then, oh God, it's just so fucking good. And then uh, when I was pouring it for you, I was really impressed. Like, so when you pour a beer on tap, the head gets really big and fluffy. <laughs> Um, and the head on this was so big and like, <laughs> you just shut your mouth. Um, it had great head. <laughs> Let's just say that. That's what he said. Uh -huh. It's also 6%. <laughs> um, Okay. I know I had heard of radial coffee before, and I don't know why oh. I was initially thinking they were in Tacoma, but they're in Seattle. I've never heard of them. Hmm. If this beer, the coffee in this beer tastes anything like what their coffee generally tastes like, I'm a big fan already because it's really um, bright, roasty, but still a little bit fruity and floral. It's very good. It's very well balanced for this beer. All right. I think we should get into it. Let's give the people what they want. They want their stories. And they want it now. All right. So since February is the... Oh, we were going to say, we were going to mention... <laughs> Woo, again this brain <laughs> she's not firing on all of the cylinders okay we were gonna mention how it is black history month mm -hmm. and to honor and this is kind of a joke but why it's not? totally let's a joke <laughs> let's lean in uh to honor and respect black people we're going to tell some stories about some shitty white people. <laughs> As if you didn't already know. Yeah. Now we, to be honest, we like now doing less episodes yeah. every year. We were kind of like, oh shit. We've already planned all these out, mm -hmm. but we didn't think about the fact that there won't be a second one. Yeah. <laughs> or so, a third or a fourth. Know. Maybe you should be a Patreon member and see what we cook up for our Patreon episode. Maybe it will be. Or maybe we'll just honor it next month. Hard to say. Or, you know, just any month because it doesn't have to be Black History Month to talk about the things involving Black people. I don't know. Mm. Um, the other thing is it's Valentine's day month 
whatever. There's a Valentine's Day in the month. I don't care. I hate Valentine's Day. I think it's a really stupid day. Like, hey, here's the day that you have to be nice to your significant other. You know, you should just be fucking nice in general, yeah, actually. How don't be with someone if you can't be nice to them all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, we can't be nice to our loved one all the time, but, you know, most of the time. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So in that fashion, in my strong deterrence against Valentine's Day, I'm going to go full opposite. And I'm telling a story about a guy that hired a hitman to kill his wife. All right. Um, the, the good news is, though, uh, the best news is I'm actually telling a story about an amazing, badass woman that survived having a hitman come and try to kill her. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real spin we're going that's the real focus all right so susan walters is no fucking victim (laughs) um she was an rn in portland oregon Mm, i see what you did there there? Mm -hmm. um she met michael kuhnhausen in 1988 when a friend and her mom paid to put a personal ad in the Willamette Week. It's a local Portland weekly alternative newspaper and now website for fellow local Seattleites kind of like The Stranger. Oh, The Stranger. Yeah. You know, talking about things going on in the town and, hey, go try this awesome restaurant or this amazing bar or here's some opinion pieces that kind of match the majority of the town. Yeah. Two things I miss. I Anonymous Mm. and I Saw You. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those were the days. That was my favorite. Me too. I used to read those religiously. Oh, my gosh. So funny. Okay. (laughs) so the personal ad it read someone different SWF so single white female 33 overweight but not over life seeks single male who wants more out of a relationship than just slender amen girl yeah and this is in 1988 so get it Right? That was like coming off the uh, height of everybody being so coked out that they were all real skinny. So definitely ahead of her time. (laughs) All right. She got many replies. One of them from a man who wrote, Hi, different. My name is Mike. I'm a 39-year-old divorced white male i enjoy most things in nature from wandering in the ape caves at mount st helens 
sidebar for those that don't live in the Pacific Northwest. It's a series <laughs> of caves on, well, near the base of Mount St. Helens. Uh, whoa. After it erupted from the eruption. <laughs> All right. Um, I enjoy most things in nature from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. So they ended up talking on the phone for the first time um, on January 30th, 1988. That's super cute. Uh, She marked it on her little day planner um with a red smiley face (laughs) um had a nice connection on that call so they continue having calls keep talking on the phone call phone calls getting to know each other um susan said that they had spoken so many times and you know, had so many conversations that they, she speculated that it might have been over a hundred hours on the phone in like just a matter of weeks. That's <laughs> Which, a lot. I mean, it makes sense. Think back to, <clears throat> you know, for us, like our teen years when we weren't texting and actually having phone conversations with friends and boyfriends and whoever's and for like hours yeah my best friend and I used to see each other every fucking day and then talk on the phone for like three hours every day yeah (laughs) it's insane when I think about that now I'm like wow what it's insane I know now I avoid talking on the phone well it's probably oh, you, you do a lot of it. I would really love to not have to ever do any of that. But like for you know, choice <laughs> I avoid talking on the phone as much as I can. Um all right. So she said that she liked his voice and was impressed that he wanted to talk about the deeper things. So, after so many conversations, really feeling like they click, they end up finally going on their first date. So, from their first phone conversation January 30th to a first date at some point in February, um, they meet at um crystal springs rhododendron garden it's a botanical garden in southeast portland uh it looks gorgeous from the pictures i've seen and um yeah they met there basically like meeting at a park kind of they fed the ducks and squirrels and talked and hung out They hit it off even more. They felt that connection. So they start dating. They hit it off so well that 
within the year. These two are driving to Reno to get hitched. Well, well. Cute. Yeah. But this is not that kind of story. (laughs) It never is, Courtney. (laughs) Not that kind of podcast. (laughs) Sadly, the honeymoon phase. uh, Well, I think the honeymoon phase was just while they were dating. Um... (laughs) It was barely a thing. Not too long after they were married, Mike, well, he couldn't hide his overly negative outlook on life. Um, in fact, just like a couple weeks after they were married, apparently Mike had said to her that his life philosophy was... Life is a shit sandwich, and every day you take a bite until you die. Bummer. Yeah, and I'm kind of like, hey, maybe you could have told me that earlier, and then I wouldn't have to deal with your negative ass all the time. Mm -hmm. The guy, I guess, I don't know. All right, so... He starts just kind of, let's just say, relaxing, being more himself. Super negative all the time. Very, like, not so much Eeyore, like, woe is me, but, like, mean, emotionally abusive. Like, to the point that he's not ever wanting to go out on dates or do anything and Susan was a I mean it was put in her personal ad that she is full of life she enjoys life she's a woman that someone had described her as she would go out on the weekends and she'd go to such and such comedy club and she'd be in the front row and if anybody knows about going to a comedy club and sitting in, I mean, the first one to three rows, that's the, hi, I'd like to be picked on Mm -hmm. zone, and I'm good with it. (laughs) And she was fine. She's just like a fun-loving, going-after-life kind of person. Love it. Yeah. So here's Mike that's like, Mm, nah, I know we used to go on hikes, but I don't feel like it. Um, judging her about every little thing. Um, basically, she would, she was still gonna go and do things. So she would have a have plans to go hang out with a friend, like maybe go meet a friend at. A comedy club. I don't know. And he'd be like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why do you have to go out? What do you... You know? Weird. Trying to control everything. And even questioning, like, the smallest little purchases, which... She was definitely the main breadwinner. He was in and out of jobs. He, at one point, got a 
essentially a janitorial job working for something something entertainment which was basically just like a adult video um like store <laughs> and um he didn't make a lot of money anyway and she's she's an rn in she's a very well established rn in the er for a main hospital in portland so like she's doing well for herself mm -hmm. yeah so okay fast forward to you know things just really wearing down at about after about 17 years of dealing with mike's bullshit she's just done she does she's like i'm tired of living in an unhappy marriage she just i'm done with this and i deserve to live a good happy life they had never had kids i mean she neither one of them really i mean they were she was 33 he was 39 when they met so it's not like they were you know in that stage of life so much um yeah so it was like what's the point <laughs> if you're not with someone that's wanting to share life things with you anyway so she's like i'm done she kicks his ass out of the house it's um early in 2006 she kicks him out files for divorce anybody out there that has known anyone or has gone through a divorce knows that that is not a fast process the fastest it can <clears throat> possibly be is three months mm-hmm um so that being said you know they're the divorce process takes some time so they're in the process and but they managed to stay somewhat amicable to the point where Mike moves out, moves in with his dad, but she doesn't change the locks. She doesn't change the alarm code, which coincidentally was their anniversary, 1210. <laughs> uh, in fact, you know, down the road as time goes, uh, he occasionally would come by to check on the cats if she knew she was going to be doing a super long shift or doing something right after work. So with that being said, <laughs> um, she had asked Mike to come by and check on the cats because she was going to be in a really long shift and then she had an appointment to go to a salon right after work so it's september 6th 2006 and gets off long exhausting shift at work in the er wrestling down 
crazy people in the ER, you know, um, dealing with all that chaos, goes to a salon, has a nice wind down time, gets her hair done, reads a little bit of a magazine. She's feeling good, relaxed, gets home roughly 6.30ish, and she walks in the back door like she always does, gets into the mud room, and there's a note right there for her written by Mike, and um, it says, uh, Sue haven't been sleeping had to get away went to the beach he also includes something about he'll see her friday or saturday um also p.s this is a month or a wednesday that this is all this day so he's saying like i'll see you you know a few days yeah and it's like love me uh she's like Okay, whatever. <laughs> so she unlocks the door from the mudroom into the kitchen, like the getting into the main house. Because, you know, like some people have that kind of sort of outside, but not really. It's like a covered porch or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what this was. So unlocks the door, opens into her, what is her kitchen. She's hearing the the beeping of, you know, you get into your house and your alarm is triggered. You have so many, like, it's like 30 seconds or something to disarm the alarm or it goes off and alerts the cops. Well, she goes, disarms it, and then she walks straight. It's like a shotgun house, so door to door, basically. Mm -hmm. Goes straight to the front door, goes out, grabs her mail. It's a nice day, somewhat warmer September like we tend to have. Um, and, uh, grabs her mail. She's kind of standing there rifling through the mail, goes in, and then suddenly kind of hits her the realization that, hang on, something's off. Huh. I could swear I opened my curtains this morning because she, it's like part of her routine, wakes up Mm -hmm. in the morning, opens the curtains in the living room. And for some reason, her curtains, it's all dark in her living room. And for some reason, they're closed. And then she realizes, huh, my bedroom door is closed. And then all of a sudden, just after she realizes her bedroom door is closed, a man lunges out at her from behind her bedroom door. So he'd been in her bedroom. And her first thought is, oh, shit, there was a burglar in my house and I woke him up. But then her brain picks up on some details. The alarm was set. Well, that was a later thing. But starts picking up on the fact that, oh, my God, this guy is wearing yellow rubber gloves. Oh, boy. He's got... He's clearly got, like, hair tucked up under a hat, and it's, like, pulled down kind of to shield his eyes. 
and he's got a hammer, and he's coming at her. Swings the hammer at her head, hits her straight in the temple. Oh, God. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, so the man, you know, hits her in the temple, but she is, uh, as we've already stated from the personal ad, not a petite person. So while this man, who later is identified as Ed Haffey, He's 5'9", and she's 5'4", so he's got five inches on her, but she's got several pounds on him. I believe it, I read that he was like 190, and she was at about 230, 260, like different things say different things, so mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And again, she was... And not just an RN, but she was a RN at a hospital in the ER. So she has years of mandatory uh, self-protection training that the hospital has all the staff go through every year. And... Um, so she has got not just a little bit of knowledge of self-defense, but it is programmed in her head. Mm-hmm. Like that immediate, don't even think about it, you just do it kind of response of self-defense. So she fucking fights back. <laughs> she doesn't just run, which is what the average person's normal response is to get the fuck away. Mm -hmm. Someone is trying to hurt and kill me. I will leave, need to leave this situation. You know? No. She goes after him. She starts throwing punches. She starts biting him. Because yeah. he's trying to like... I mean, he went straight for her head. Right for her temple. And he didn't stop. So she very quickly goes from, oh my god, there's someone in my house trying to rob me. I think I woke up a burglar. To quickly, oh my god, this person is just trying to kill me. Oh my god. This person is going to kill me. I am going to make sure that my teeth marks are embedded in his skin in as many places as I can make sure that they are. Because if I have to die, he's going to fucking get caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Without a doubt. So she is punching and scratching and biting, you know, everything. And because of her training, she doesn't go away. She goes in. Because she knows if she crowds him, when he's trying to hit her, those hammer blows aren't going to have as much force. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be able, even sometimes, if she just, like, grapples him, he's not going to be able to even 
hit her sometimes. So they're fighting back and forth. Um, at one point, he, they kind of break loose a little bit, and he is able to push her to the ground, to the floor, and he utters <laughs> the only thing he ends up saying this entire time, which is, you're strong. <laughs> no shit, dumbass. Ugh. Like, and then she's like, oh my God, yeah. It's confirmed that this is, this person is here to kill her. And she's trying real hard to figure out, I don't know who this person is, why is this why like she's trying to search her brain for any type of recollection recollection of why what how what you know so um when he says that too it gives her a little bit more of a surge of adrenaline so she you know he had pushed her down she ends up pulling him down on the floor she flips him and gets on top of him pins him down again all that training mm-hmm. <laughs> pins him down gets him in a chokehold like she grabs his neck <laughs> like grabbing his throat <laughs> and is choking him and one of my favorite parts she screams in his face as loud as possible again adrenaline Tell me who sent you, and I'll call a fucking ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> this lady is my fucking hero. Right? My God. Like, I mean, she's clearly, she's a nurse. <laughs> she doesn't really want to kill him. <laughs> no. But she doesn't want him to know that. <laughs> and so she's like, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> but if it's me or you, it's going to be you. <laughs> He doesn't say anything. He doesn't even try. He's just like, mm, no. Keeps a crazed look in his eye. Um, so she keeps him in that chokehold till he starts turning red and then purple and then a little bluish and he stops breathing altogether. Once he finally stops breathing, she runs out of the house, walks over to her neighbors, starts pounding on their door. The neighbor opens the door and she gets the neighbor to call 911. And now I'm going to read you a little bit of the transcript. <laughs> so the neighbor calls um, and says, we have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in the bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. 911 operator. Can you put her on the phone? Neighbor. She's bleeding. <laughs> operator. Uh, does she need an ambulance? <laughs> Neighbor says, no. She's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He might be dead. 
my god. Like, she's cool. She's got this covered. <laughs> so an ambulance is called. He is, in fact, dead. Oh. Um. And she goes to the hospital, too, because, you know, in all that fighting, they fought for 15 straight minutes. That's a really long time. It's a very long time to be fighting. Like, I can't imagine how exhausted. She, mind you, had already worked a full shift, which, for those that don't know, a nursing shift is a generally 12 hours long. Mm-hmm. And that's 12 hours in the ER. Uh, so she goes to the hospital also. She's in the very same ER that she works in. <laughs> and she's laying there thinking, I wonder. No, it couldn't. Uh, hmm. I wonder if this has anything to do with my ex-husband. <laughs> Divorce is still not final. And we already know he's a very, oh, the world is out to get me kind of person. And uh, he's still not living on his own. And, well... It's, it's not looking good for him. <laughs> um, I mean, we already know because of how I led into the story that, yeah, he hired this idiot to try and kill, well, to kill his wife. Turns out this is not the first person he even approached. <laughs> approached a few different people. Um... But apparently it did not take very long for officials to tie this Ed Haffey guy to Mike, her ex-husband, her soon-to-be actual ex-husband. Um, because Mike had once worked as a custodian under Mike at the adult entertainment store. Um, and so that linked them to each other, but the real, really like, just kind of, yep, there's no other option is the fact that Ed left his backpack at the house and in that backpack <laughs> was his day planner. And on the two days previous to this one, he had a note in there that said, get note from Mike and alarm code. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was also an, a previous entry with something about Mike and meeting up about this and then there was also um apparently this ed guy brought a friend when he met mike to talk about this job he's gonna get hired to do 
So. The fuck? Yeah, yeah. So. There's. You know, they have to do a. An investigation, of course, because a person dies. Um, and. Uh, they. They do the auto- they do an autopsy and turns out he had so much cocaine in his system that they were amazed he was alive enough to get there, let alone do any of this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> like how how was how did he not OD beforehand? Like right when he did all that. Um also, uh <laughs> They very quickly were like, okay, yeah, she for sure killed him in self-defense. So, okay, we're not going to look at you. They investigate Mike and he's like, immediately, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't, what I'm like, I'm gonna, what it was, he's immediately, I wouldn't do this. There's no, it's not like I'm going to benefit from her death. We're in the middle of a divorce and I'm not even her beneficiary on life insurance. (laughs) Which is like, um, it was a little too much of a quick offer up of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Too quick of information for someone that, potentially is just now finding out that they're that someone tried to kill their supposedly amicable split former wife you know mm-hmm. and um he come to find out because the divorce was not final yet if she dies he gets the house it was paid off mm-hmm. so he would get a little over 300,000. So there you go. And he had offered this Ed Haffy guy $50,000 to kill her. Um, so Mike, of course, is guilty, goes to trial. He gets 10 years for soliciting aggravated murder um he due to uh like good behavior basically he was gonna get his sentence was being reduced by 20 percent so he was set to get out september of 2014 oh and so Susan was starting to get really scared because mm-hmm. you can make money, you can have jobs while in prison, and you're not, you know, really spending a lot. I mean, depending on the person, because like, there are things that they definitely charge prisoners an exorbitant amount of money for, so they're not even really keeping any of, they're like in debt when they get out. <laughs> But anyway, so she was really scared that he was making enough money that when he got out, he would try to kill her again. So she sells her house. She 
relocates, buys a different house in a cul-de-sac and in an area where, and she like gets a high-end um, alarm system and she uh, starts trying to do all these things so that he maybe doesn't get out earlier or maybe he can, you know, she can make it so he can't, I don't know. So she can just protect herself and she ends up like putting in gravel in her driveway so that she can hear if anyone is coming up to her house, like all these things. But nature, um, nature had her back and he died in July just a few months before he was going to get out of prostate cancer. Ooh, bummer. That's not it. I mean, no cancer is pretty, but prostate cancer is a gnarly one. Takes you hard and quick. So he died in prison. Honestly, good. And I was looking around in my research and I found that she has a Facebook page dedicated to a book that she is currently writing. Oh, neat. Yeah. And she posted last September 6th, the 15 year anniversary of all of this a little snippet and it says Dennis open the door and call the police I've been attacked I think I may have killed the guy Anne appeared with a phone in her hand as I stood in the doorway wild eyed face beaten lip busted and bleeding there was blood on my shirt a bloody hammer in my hand I laid the hammer on the counter near the sink it looked out of place in their tidy kitchen. Both artists, their home was filled with wonderful touches of color and whimsy everywhere. Sparkling bits of colored and clear glass hung in varying lengths of the window, turning the southern exposure into an afternoon light show. Small paintings popped against the deep, rich color of the walls. The claw hammer was mine. It had been left in the bathroom as I was working on the on removing tile around the tub as I readied our home for sale. I was ready to file for a divorce, and the proceeds of the sale would be divided. About 12 to 13 inches long with a red handle and a black leather grip, it wasn't very heavy. Designed for a small job. There was blood on the claw end, dry from screaming, hoping someone would hear me, my tongue felt like leather. I rinsed the metallic taste of blood in my mouth from the gash in my lower lip. My breath was hot and rapid in the damp towel I pressed against my lip. Fearing I might pass out, I inhaled slowly through my nose, exhaling even slower through my mouth to slow my breathing. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. The sound of my pounding heart reverberated in my ears, a half a beat out of sync with the 
booming in my chest. The emergency dispatcher picked up Anne's call after several rings at 6.54 p.m. 911. Today I celebrate my 15th bonus year. As always, I am grateful for the family, friends, and community who helped me forward and away from my shattered life. You are all my heroes. Holy shit. She has since uh, helped to organize programs to help uh, victims of crimes because maybe you're a victim of a crime and you don't want to live there anymore for fear, Mm -hmm. like her, of them getting out of prison and finding you and trying. And maybe you don't have the money to make that happen. So there are programs out there for victims of crimes and you know victims of crimes are not always that one person sometimes it's also family members and so there are several websites out there now that are dedicated to victims of crimes almost every single state has one and um of course they're always accepting donations so If you can, I would highly encourage anyone out there to, you know, even if for just a tax deduction next year, Mm -hmm. (laughs) go make a donation to your state's victim fund. Wowzers. Yeah. Damn, she's a fucking badass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) she it's cute too because she you know so many people call her a hero because she did what so many of us don't fully have the confidence that we would do like she Mm -hmm. fought back she survived when someone was quite honestly hired to kill her (laughs) and was drugged up even Mm -hmm. So probably feeling way less pain than what they normally would be, making it even harder. And also, home invasion shit's terrifying. Yeah, like I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine if I walked into my house and there was just somebody lurking in a corner about to attack me. Like, yeah, I would be so traumatized, like forever. But yeah, and so she's always saying, "I'm not a hero. I just." did what I had to do to survive and that's just that kind of classic people that we all we look at as heroes mm-hmm. almost never feel like they're a hero they just did what they had to do mm-hmm. so. very humble I like yeah. it yeah makes you wonder how you would react in a situation like how what you're fight flight or what it's fight flight fawn freeze what your reaction would be or a combination of them Mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it's hard to say because I've, I've definitely been in situations where i've been threatened or had somebody coming at me and i've reacted differently in every single situation and it's like kind of circumstantial like um but in that, I, I think that I would probably be so amped that I would just start fighting back too. 
Yeah. But it's hard, it's hard to fucking say. It's really easy to be like, oh, I would totally defend myself. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, like you said, will just be like, oh, my fucking God, and try to get away. Yeah. My, the, the times that I've had a situation, which, you know, as a bartender, we tend to have a few more situations than the average person. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've... Uh, Almost every time mine has been fight. Other than that, there's been a few freeze. Mm-hmm. That's mostly same. Mm-hmm. I've definitely had a moment mm-hmm. that somebody was coming at me and I had my taser in my hand mm-hmm. and was sort of, to be honest, expecting that that was going to make them be like, oh, I shouldn't keep walking. And they didn't. But then they were like too close for me to really do anything. And I was like, shit. Like I just waited way too long. Yeah, I have. Not that it's like good. Not that this is smart. I'm honestly surprised I've not had worse things happen with my reaction. But there's been some times when I've like gone after someone and because of my size i was gonna say you're only like the size of a fucking breath mint chasing down somebody (laughs) but that makes me seem absolutely batshit crazy (laughs) which is what scares people Mm -hmm. when you seem crazy like and you know that's a awful term to put but like when you seem like you're unpredictable and your uh, decisions of what is a good idea and a bad idea to do are out of whack. That freaks people out. (laughs) It's like becomes too much work for them. They're just like, oh, I actually might have to like work for this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of my, my move too. I think in season one, I think I told a story about leaving the bar and I didn't even, I didn't even have a taser then I had a stun gun, but this guy just like yelled from across the street at this yeah. kind of crazy, it's, I don't know how to describe it except for like sketchy section eight housing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, Hey, I just want to ask you something. And I just like fired off the fucking stun gun. And I was like, yeah. ask me from there. Do not come over here. And he was like, Whoa. I'm like, yeah, There's buddy, don't. nothing you need to ask me right now. No, it's three o'clock in the morning. We don't need to talk. Anything you need to ask, you can ask from where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. That story. (laughs) His face is fucking priceless. Oh, my God. (laughs) But he didn't cross the street, so there's that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's take a quick break, and then you can tell a story. And it's a doozy. okay we're back oh boy um yeah we're back and i'm gonna tell you so this story doing research (laughs) i literally lost my appetite and like couldn't eat my dinner when I was trying to do some research. Oh boy. 
Um, I also just poured myself a Fernet. So if that's any indication, <laughs> you might need a shot with your beer for this story. So like I said, this is by far one of the most disturbing and terrifying stories that I've ever heard. Um, and as a young adult, I remember being, you know, I was old enough that I actually got to like see it unfold on TV, like as it was all happening and was just couldn't, I could not believe it was actually happening. Couldn't believe it was real. And as wild and bizarre of a story as it is, I think the best place to start with any story is the beginning. So that's where I'll start. Um, <clears throat> Eric Clinton Kirk Newman was born on July 24th, 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario. Uh, he was the oldest of three kids born to his mother, Anna Yorkin, and his father, Donald Newman. According to him, his childhood was a strange and a pretty abusive one. Um, he later describes that his mom used to be like a really obsessive clean freak and organizing freak mm -hmm. um, and stated that she on numerous occasions would lock all the kids out of the house just to like maintain order in her house. Like just didn't want to deal with it. Goodbye. Yeah. But also has memories of his mom taking their pet rabbits and putting them outside in a cage and letting them freeze to death in the winter. In 1994, his father, Donald, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And as a result, uh, obviously his parents' marriage kind of started falling apart around that diagnosis. And so he was sent to live with his grandmother. Uh, by 22, I almost said 23. By 2003, Newman, who is now 21, started working as a stripper and an escort. And he also appeared in several gay porno films. Um, he did some pinup work in 2005 for an issue of Toronto magazine fab going by the name Jimmy, okay. but that wasn't all he was up to in 2005. He was also caught and convicted for several counts of fraud and of impersonating, impersonating a woman when he took out several credit cards and racked up over $10,000 in debt. And he was sentenced to nine months plus 12 years of probate or I'm not 12 years, 12 months of probation for that crime. Then on August 12th, 2006, he legally changed his name to the name that you and I are probably more familiar with, which is Luca Rocco Magnata. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, between 2007 and 2008, he auditioned and was a contestant on at least one reality TV show um, and that was called Cover Guy, which he didn't get very far on. Um, it was like a modeling, like a sort of like a top model kind of a show. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was called Plastic Makes Perfect, which follows people who get plastic surgery. Uh -huh. um, I have, I'd never heard of the show. I had to look it up. I'm like, the name's a dead giveaway, but. Yeah, there's like a, <laughs> not remake, but like a another version kind of of that but with way more extreme on i want to say netflix now weird yeah i'm, I'm not a like i think i want to say it was like a 2020 kind of thing weird 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a reality TV person. So I'm always like, what's this now? What are we doing? Yeah. Usually <laughs> the only reason I know about it is I'm like flipping through and I'm like, why are you suggesting this to me? You've seen <laughs> what I go for. Yeah, right. This is not people being martyred. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. All right. So in 2007, um, Luca reaches out to the Toronto Sun and he's in a desperate attempt to try to stop rumors that are being said about him. Um, and that rumor, the specific rumor, is that evidently he's dating Carla Homolka of the Ken and Barbie killers. Um, and he's like, it's ruining my life. Like, people won't stop saying this. I don't know why they keep saying it. Um, but it turns out he started the rumors. In fact, Luca had created several online profiles across social media platforms and various other websites. To be more specific, 70 Facebook profiles and 20 websites. Which, like, why would the cops give a single shit about what people are saying about you? Like, Poor baby. Like, um, we're about to arrest you for wasting our time. <laughs> a whole bunch of don't give a fuck uh let's have a little bit of my fernet here hold on mm. a little sippy sip mm -hmm. quite the whistle i gotta wet that whistle um in 2010 um this is where it's gonna start to get if this is i'm gonna warn you in advance if you are gonna become physically ill like i did when you hear about animal things, mm. I'm not going to go into extreme detail, but you'll get the gist because I just can't deal with it. I make faces and get angry, but I'll probably not get nauseous. It's not great. Um, in 2010, a video started going viral and it was titled One Boy, Two Kittens. In the video, a young man later identified as Magnata is shown playing with two small kittens and then he places them into one of those like big plastic storage like vacuum seal bags and slowly starts vacuuming the air out and films him killing these kittens soon after that it was yeah, oh I god know. i saw clips of it and i was like i'm gonna vomit like this is fucking terrible um soon after another you'd be like no no don't play that yeah. no oh my god i like full-on had to cover my face and then i was like well now i can't eat the fucking dinner i just spent all this time making because i'm gonna fucking barf like jesus um soon after another video um showing the same person releases a python onto a bed where there has been a kitten placed and shows that whole situation as well as a video um, of a kitten tied to a, like a beam or a pole and slowly being lowered into a bathtub and drowned. And uh, the, I can't, like the few little bits of clips that I watched, I thought I was gonna just, I don't know how a person could ever do that shit. It's fucking terrible. Like I started tearing up just now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so upsetting. It's purposefully taking a symbol of extreme innocence, helplessness, and obliterating it. It uh, being I, 
intentionally awful. Ugh, it's just fucking disgusting is what it is. Evil on purpose. And as traumatizing and sickening as those videos were, it got a lot worse, like mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So by this time, thankfully, animal rights activists had started trying to figure out who the fuck this person was. Like the video went viral Mm -hmm. and a group of people like ended up starting like a Facebook group and they were like, we're going to figure out who this fucking person is because they're going to stop killing cats. Like this is fucked up. Yeah. And um, so like most of us know, people who take pleasure killing animals often later find that they take pleasure in killing people. Mm -hmm. And so that was like one of their primary concerns was like, if we don't catch this person, what else is that person going to do? Yeah. So Luca starts taunting them a little bit and starts using fake profiles to contact them on social media. And obviously they eventually figured out who it was, but it was too late. Um, despite contacting various authorities, Luca can't be tracked down quite yet. Like he keeps kind of not being right where they think he's going to be. Yeah. And they're always just like a few steps behind him. Then on May 25th, 2012, a new video is released. This one was titled one lunatic, one ice pick. The video shows a nude man bound to a bed frame. Another person then straddles the nude man and proceeds to stab him with what appears to be an ice pick repeatedly for a pretty lengthy amount of time. Then the video goes on to show the dismemberment of the man, followed by acts of necrophilia. Mm. Then the suspect leaves the frame and returns with a small black and white dog and both the suspect and the dog are seen eating small amounts of the man's remains. During this, and I tried to word that super delicately, but I yeah, yeah. wanted to make sure y'all knew <laughs> what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not watch that video, by the way. I could not yeah, no, do no. it. Um, so during the horrifying display of violence that just happened, yeah. The very bizarre parts of this is that in the background, while all of this is taking place, the true the New Order song "True Faith" is playing in the background. God, yeah, I forgot about that. And over the bed, there is a po- movie poster for the 1942 film Casablanca, which seems just really like, why is that there? Like, why why would you? Intentional and confusing. Yes, and. I will get to that in a minute. Um, All very strange things, like I said, but, you know, on May 25th, a janitor for the apartment building complex where this happened uh, in Montreal, by the way, notices that the garbage hasn't been picked up and he's kind of like, oh, fuck, that sucks. But he looks over and the bins like overflow. There's just like stuff piled around the sides of it. And so he's kind of like, oh, God damn it. But while he looks over, he realizes there's this like old suitcase kind of chilling next to it, mm. but it has a lock on it. And he's like, that's fucking weird. Like, why, why would somebody throw away a locked suitcase? Like, that doesn't even really make sense. Yeah. And then he's like, what if there's fucking treasure in there? You know, he starts to get these ideas like, whoa. And so he oh, poor dude. 
I know, newsflash, it's never fucking treasure. Um, <laughs> so, buy a garbage. Right. That's yeah, probably not. Um, so he opens it and discovers the torso of a man who has been stabbed several times. Mm-hmm. Um, he called police right away. He like was like, oh, fuck, and like yeah. stopped trying to do anything with it and was like oh my god yeah don't touch it don't breathe on it like fucking <laughs> um so police come up and they identify it is indeed a human torso they begin going through all the surrounding garbage hoping that maybe there'll be any sort of other clue um and they did find more things um in the bags surrounding the suitcase they found more human remains which was like organs and things which is like makes me want to barf again not cool cool. um bloody clothes Mm -hmm. a screwdriver which has been painted in such a way that it slightly resembles an ice pick Mm -hmm. a knife that appeared like a kitchen knife that appeared to have both blood and tissue on it Mm. a dead dog um and miscellaneous paperwork including like sensitive identifying documents that have like photos and addresses on them for a person by the name of luca rocco magnata so initially they see this and they think oh my god like our this is our victim like they threw away his identity all of his identification and shit too um so they send an officer to the house like the address And they're like, go to that apartment and like, check it out. Mm -hmm. So an officer gets in and he looks around and the apartment has basically been emptied out. Like there's like made like random furniture items still in there. Mm -hmm. But he also notices it smells really strongly of like bleach, like intense cleaning chemicals. Um, But they don't have a search warrant. So he's like, well, nobody's there, but it smells. I, I feel like we have reason to believe something weird happened. So when they eventually get the search warrant um, with the use of luminol, they find themselves in what appeared to be a very bloody crime scene with large amounts of blood being found on the mattress, the fridge, which I was like, (laughs) Um, the table, like the table you would eat off of, Mm -hmm. um, and the bathtub. They also found hours of security footage when they finally contacted the building of Luca making several trips back and forth from the garbage area, like small little trips at a time to throw evidence out. Pieces. Good Lord. On May 26th, an attorney from Montana comes across the video and he's like, what in the what? And tries to contact local authorities. And they're just kind of like, it's a hoax. Like, blow him off. He's he's convinced that this is real, which it was. And they're just like, eh, no, it's not a big deal. And then several other people started reporting the video and its contents to their local authorities. Mm-hmm. The video eventually finds its way to the investigators in Montreal And once they view the video and the contents, they realize, because they can now see who the victim is, that it is not Luca McNada. And he is not the victim. He's the suspect. So on May 29th, 2012, um, 
a package arrives to the national headquarters for the Conservative Party of Canada. What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Goddamn. Cheers to that. More for net. <laughs> um, so the package contained a left foot as well as a note that says that there are a total of six body parts and they've been mailed to various recipients and that the killer will kill again. Soon after this, a package was intercepted at the local post like sorting facility mm. and it was addressed to the liberal party. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On damn June, you, liberals. <laughs> you goddamn liberals, ruining America. <laughs> On June fifth, a package containing a right foot was delivered to St. George's School in Vancouver, BC, and then another containing a right hand was sent to an elementary school in Vancouver, BC. All of seriously assistance they don't need an actual hand yes all of the packages additionally contain notes but what the notes contained was kept from the public they would not say what they were which makes me think that there was either threats or sensitive information about the case and they didn't want to give that away but i can only imagine it was fucking horrible and lunacy Mm-hmm. On May 30th, 2012, the torso and body parts were confirmed to all belong to the same man who was identified as Jun Lin, a 34-year-old international student from Wuhan, China, um, and that he wasn't identified until June 13th, 2012. Um, so it was a little bit after, like, they were able to, through DNA to be like, these all belong to the same person, but they didn't have familial DNA to compare it to to identify him yet. June Lin was born December 30th, 1978, and had been in Montreal only since 2011. So, like, he'd only been there for, like, a year or something. It's not great. Um, he was an undergrad student at, Cord I can't even speak English now, Concordia University. Um, and he was studying uh, engineering and computer science. Um, investigators were eventually like connected the dots and figured out that June Lin and Luca McNada had met on a Craigslist ad that was essentially like, um, like a hookup mm -hmm. situation, you know? Um, and on July 1st, an anonymous tip came in um, and led authorities to the location of June Lin's head, which had still been missing up to this point. So now that authorities have like figured out who the victim is and they know who killed the victim, they just need to fucking find and catch this person. Yeah. But with this fucking fool, nothing can be simple. <laughs> and so an arrest warrant was issued in Montreal, but then soon it was like, no, we got to expand that shit to all of Canada. Yeah. And then on May 31st um, of 2012, they finally were able to like reach out to Interpol and be like, yo, we need help. We don't know where the fuck this guy is. Yeah. And he could be anywhere. And so they issued a red alert, which is like, um, not a red alert, a red notice, excuse me, which is essentially an alert that is like an international, like, yo, yo, like if you see this dude, 
try to arrest him. Let's all work together and get this asshole off the street, sort of a sitch. Um, So during this time, Luca has made his way to Paris, France. And by the way, he left Montreal the day after he killed Junlin and used his own passport. Like, just like, I'm right here, motherfucker, and walked on an airplane and took off to Paris. However, when he got to Paris... I thought he was dead at that point. Right, totally. And so he just fucking danced his ass onto a plane, like, no big deal. But when he gets to Paris, he checks into a hotel and uses the alias Kirk Trammell. Investigators follow his path. They kind of figure out, okay, he flew here. We know where he is. They look around. They, you know, eventually hunt his ass down, essentially. But by the time they catch up to him again, he's gone to Berlin. So he's now in Berlin. And they're like, God damn it. And I have to go down there. So finally, thank fucking God, on June 4th, 2012, Luca Magnata was arrested in Berlin um, after a man that was running a like internet cafe, which, oh my God, remember internet cafes? How cute. It's so long ago. Oh my God. <laughs> right? I was like, oh my God, internet cafes. Um, he went in to like, ironically, look himself up. The clerk was like, I feel like that's that guy, Luca Magnata, but like, God, I'm not sure. And he was trying to like peep at what he was doing and he was looking at his own news shit. Like what a fucking tool. And so he calls and is like, he's here. He will be on the computer for probably this long. Like you guys got to get the fuck over here. And so the Berlin police march in and fucking arrest his ass. And on June 5th, um, he, they take him to court and they're like, you've broken, you know, there was fraud. There was some other shit that they were like, we kind of have some shit on you. And they decided that they had enough stuff on him just in general to hold him until he could be extradited back to Canada. Yeah. And then finally, June 18th, 2012, he is sent back to Canada, but nobody like all the commercial airlines are like, we're not putting his ass on our plane. Like it's not going to happen. And so the fucking Royal Canadian Air Force had to use one of their planes and fly him (laughs) due to like possible security risks and shit. That was like the only way they could do it. It's valid. It's super fucking valid. Um, On June 6th, um, so a few days before all of that happens, June Lin's family had gone to Montreal um, and did like a candlelight vigil. um, And they also had like a small service uh for him um and he was buried um after a small service on july 11th so it was pretty happened all really fast and actually another thing i was reading like i guess the school he went to some of the chinese students like one of the programs they have put a bunch of money together and funded like the family so that whenever they had to come into town, they were like paying for their hotel, their flight, their yeah. whatever. I That's mean, just we expensive. All have over the past few years, that that area, that Wuhan area is not a financially 
no area and when you have something like that you would want to you want to be there you know for your where figure out what the fuck happened to your kid and like Mm -hmm. put them to rest and all that jazz it's just um on march 11th 2013 um a preliminary hearing was held which you know they went over all the evidence and did you know all the blah 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 stuff Mm -hmm. and part of all that blah, blah, blah stuff included um, testimony from a forensic pathologist, forensic toxicologist, um, a blood stain analyst, mm-hmm. uh, and a data recovery specialist, which essentially was somebody that just went through the internet and was like, this is all the shit they did. We are yeah. tying them to this and this and this and this and whatever. I want that job. Right? Um, they also played video evidence, which you can only imagine is the video. And God, can you imagine that's the day you get jury duty? Dude, ugh, it's fu- I, I wouldn't get it because I'd be like, I have a true crime podcast. That guy can burn in hell. I know. <laughs> like, like, I'm one of the few people that I'd be like, fuck yeah, I want jury duty. I need to see. <laughs> like, I want to hear about it. I'd be like, mm, dismissed. Yeah, you're out of here. Get out of here, lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they showed this video evidence, um, as you could only imagine, June Lin's father passed out at some point. Like he fainted from just shock of seeing yeah. what the fuck happened to his kid. Um, and if that's not, if ever, all of this isn't bad enough, fucking Luca Magnata also fainted. Like, oh, you poor fucking baby. Mm-hmm. On April 12th, 2013, Luca Magnata was indicted on charges of first degree murder, offering, um, the wording of this is really weird to me, but offering indignities to a human body, uh, distributing obscene materials, using the postal service to distribute obscene materials and criminal harassment because he sent it to um, yeah. political parties and shit. Um, mm -hmm. he pleaded not guilty and he essentially was like, I'm not guilty because I have mental health problems. And (laughs) right. You don't get to decide that. Um, so while speaking to a psychiatrist, speaking of that, Magnata claimed that he was forced to do all these horrible things by this abusive former client of his from his escort days named quote unquote Manny who terrorized him regularly. And it soon was kind of all pieced together that both Manny and his use of the alias Tremel were actually taken from Luke, one of Luca's favorite movies, Basic Instinct, in which the murder scene very closely resembles the one he filmed. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, now you know. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, and by the way, that true faith song that was playing in the background was from another one of his favorites american psycho and then it was later pointed out that the odd coincidence that there had been a casablanca poster in the room there was another movie that was in his like used to watch it all the time thing um which was casablanca and at the end of the movie humphrey bogart's character says we'll always have paris and he, that is where he fled to right after the murder. Yeah. So he was living in like hardcore fantasy land. But um, on December 23rd, 
2014. I like to think of this as like an early birthday present to myself in 2014. Luca Magnata was convicted on all charges and he was given a life sentence plus 19 years. Unfortunately, he is still eligible for parole in 25 years. And that is appalling to me, but he also tried to appeal those convictions. And it sounds like, like bratty teenage shit. He's like, they don't even have all the evidence. And I feel like the jurors didn't, they didn't base my fucking um, convictions on true thing. Like, what the fuck are you talking? Bro, you fucking killed somebody and filmed it. Like, what What else do we need? You provided the evidence, dummy. What are you talking about? Straight up stuck your name on a body. With like, what the fuck? Personal documents. Like, fucking psycho. Mm. On February 18th, 2015, he withdrew that appeal. I think he was like, oh, right. I filmed that. Or the lawyer was like, dude, don't do it. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever want to actually get out on parole, withdraw. He is still serving his sentence in Quebec prison. Okay. Uh, and uh, and we, I really hope he doesn't ever get paroled because I, I was like, how old would he be? And he would have, he would only be in his late fifties. So assuming he stays a relatively healthy person, he could still live like longer than his victim lived out of jail, potentially. Well, hopefully nature also comes for him and he also get pain, uh, prostate cancer. One could only hope. I, that's funny. When you were telling your story, I was like, oh man. I wonder if that'll happen to Luke McDonough. <laughs> no, like, I don't like necessarily wish harm on people, but like, only uh... a matter of months later, six months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Six, four, five or six months later, Luca goes to jail. Oh, God, he's such a dirtbag. And just, ugh. So, the how i saw i know some people probably listening were like ashley you watch these fucking videos so part of my research was i avoided watching this until i was doing research yeah but netflix did a docu-series it's a three episode series called don't, don't fuck with cats mm-hmm. and i finally watched it i still haven't i can't i don't recommend you do um i will say super well done mm-hmm. um they did a really great job on it um i never need to see it again yeah it um they show clips of all the videos and it is not ever gonna come out of my brain Uh... like the terror on one of the cat's face for specifically is like ingrained in my brain forever and then the few snippets of scenes of the murder i was like nope i had to just like close my eyes for a few seconds because I was like, I cannot watch this. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say this and Chili Willy are the two that I like lost sleep over. 
Yeah. Like it for some reason really fucking traumatized me. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. There are a few that I've started to do research and then I had to abandon it because I was like, nah, I can't I can't go further. You're like, turns out I'd like to sleep some days of my life. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucking rough sometimes. Yeah. Um, but he Luca Magnata's been on my list of cases to cover for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm glad it's over with. <laughs> and I also hope that he was like a person that really sought fame. He wanted to be like known and seen. And I hope that people stop entertaining his shit at some point. Oh God. God, one thing that you, since you're not going to watch that documentary, one thing that blew my fucking mind was his mom knowing that he did all of these things his mom is interviewed and she says um you know none of this would have happened if those animal rights activists would have you know kept their fucking nose out of shit that wasn't their problem and is basically like you can tell she like doesn't support i I think he's a fucking liar like on all fronts i don't know if he's ever told a true thing ever except maybe the story about his mom killing his rabbits i believe that after seeing it because she had like zero fucks to give about him taking animal lives. Oh God. Oh, right. Oh man. And she I... is like convinced that her son was actually being like puppeteered by this Manny person. And it's like, bitch, like open your motherfucking eyes. Like what are you talking about? It makes me wonder what kind of fucked up relationship those two had. Yep. That's exactly what I thought. Oh, God. Like, torture, yet also probably a weird overprotection. And, ugh, ugh. I don't know. And then, fuck, like, he had two siblings, too. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, how are they fucking holding up with their cuckoo mom and their cuckoo brother? Oh, God. I know, dude, it's fucking rough. <laughs> That's why I needed liquor today. God, there's so many as yeah, yeah, that story. Like there's so many aspects of it like that are just it's like combining so many kinds of awful into one. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And I mean I even had to like leave some shit out because he was like constantly trying to get attention it was so fucking weird and sad because if he had been you know maybe given some love and attention and care when he was developing as a person who knows who fucking knows maybe he would have just been super annoying and that's it I also um, thought it was kind of interesting because, I mean, again, the where the his family was from in China, um, Julian's family chose to bury him in Montreal. Um, like he was cremated and then buried. But I, I thought that was a strange choice 
like why like I assume there must have been an, an expense reason that they didn't take him back but I was like wow that's fucking terrible too like your kid leaves to go to college he's gone for a year abroad and he dies but then you leave him there I thought that was kind of odd you never know could be a sign of respect Mm -hmm. wanted to be there so they leave him where he wanted to be maybe or it could be you know in the opposite end it could be a a sad backwards traditional thing of like because he was gay or maybe not traditionally straight and you know certain cultures are still very backwards on that yeah i'm actually really legitimately curious now if anybody knows the answer to that question email us please because i want to know or you can dm us on instagram or uh you could send us a message through our website smoke signals <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> and haven't yet definitely follow us on all of the things please subscribe mm -hmm. and like and all of that mm -hmm. oh we were just talking we should probably mention this we were just talking before hit and record um in light of the recent Spotify decisions mm -hmm. and drama, uh, people have been asking us where else they can listen to our podcast that is not Spotify and if they don't have Apple Podcasts. And so um, we will post on Instagram something about it, but... For those of you that are, you know, listening right now, um, and maybe your friends, I don't know, want to know, I don't know, um, we are also on Podcast Addict, um, you can go to, uh, Pocket Casts, Overcast, I have... I've also heard about Stitcher and then um, Anchor, which is the platform we use to edit and publish. So if you go to anchor.com, you can find us. So, you know, there's lots of other places. Mm -hmm. There's also... Um, other yeah what is the other guys what are you listening to us on oh and a big one that if you are an iphone person or whatever or an apple person we have apple podcasts also yep. is the thing we're on i mean we're but i want to know what other is i think it's kind of a catch-all of but what are they have i heard of them <laughs> how how funny would it be if there is a actual podcast listening platform called other <laughs> oh oh my god i would be like okay of course there is other podcasts
Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Back in February, am I right? Oof. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're only like three days in and I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's a short month and I don't know. It's a short month and then it'll be spring. Hmm. I have this like strange fear of March now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like with comes spring comes COVID lockdown. God. Nobody talk about March. (laughs) Don't say it. We're going straight to April. We can just rename it. We could just call it Marche. Yeah, there you go. We'll be like those problematic companies out there that just rename and go from like (laughs) Facebook to Meta. And that was the exact example (laughs) I was going to use. All right. Well, until next time, Mm -hmm. drink good local beer. Oh, and today I'm actually sorry for the nightmares because you're going to have them. Yeah, maybe you should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) Toodles. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com. Or our website, SeattleOnTap.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And all of the Seattle On Tap original music is provided by Bubble Bathism, courtesy of the Subterranot Recording Collective.